Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And this evening for a little while, I want to direct our attention to those last few words, the way of God more accurately. God bless you. you. may be seated. You have to smile at the person beside you. Amen. Our mission, as we say it here at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, is to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and develop them into fully devoted followers of him. And it is for this reason that throughout the month of March, we plan, Lord willing, to focus our attention on what it biblically means to live out our mission. Starting this past Sunday with Brother Joel Johns' message, Give Them Something to Eat, Brother John's article, The Mission of the Dispersed Church, we intend to examine more closely those biblical snapshots of the early church fulfilling the Great Commission. Now tonight I recognize and I respect the spiritual maturity, the biblical knowledge, and the missional commitment of many of you that are here and that are listening this evening. However, all of us need the compelling truth and witness of the Word and Spirit to continually lead and guide us into becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So let's take a renewed look again at what the Bible says about our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ. And there's probably no better place to start than with the Lord, words of the Lord himself. In Matthew 5 and 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. Right? It's not foreign to many of us. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Is that a picture of your life? No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Like, why? Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone 
will praise your heavenly Father. That's not unfamiliar territory of Scripture for many of us, but I wonder how often we say it fast from memory versus slowing down and allowing the words to penetrate our mind and our heart. In Mark 16 and 15, Jesus said, and he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He told his disciples along those final words in Acts 1 and 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it is no wonder that the epistles are filled with reminder after reminder of our preeminent mission in this life. Hear the words of Paul to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that is an awe-striking passage of Scripture when you think about it. Listen to what Paul says. God is making his appeal through us. So the next time you stand in front of the mirror and disqualify yourself and capitulate to the voices of condemnation and intimidation that you're not pretty enough, you don't know enough, you don't speak well enough, you don't have enough influence, you're not successful enough, you're not smart enough, you need to pull out your Bible and read Paul's letter to the Corinthians for Paul said God chose you and he chose you to make his appeal and that when you speak, whether it is in a southern slang or an eloquent English tongue, whether you butcher the king's language or you are as smooth as silk, whatever language and however you say it, you speak for Christ when you plead, be reconciled to God. That's pretty amazing. Amen? That's pretty humbling. As Pastor John's taught throughout Peter's letter, first letter to the dispersed church in February, especially on Wednesdays, he repetitively shared and, and noted that what, what you cannot help but notice is that interwoven 
throughout Peter's epistle is this call to missional awareness and action even in the midst of suffering. He would say, 1 Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, and, and we like that and quote that, but it continues. Why? There's a purpose in that, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the biblical witness is clear. It's indisputable. Our message and our mission never change. In the first century and in the 21st century, our mission and our message never change. And furthermore, regardless of our circumstances, you and I have been commissioned as an invaluable extension of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile people to himself. And I'll say it again. You have been called to speak for God. And so the Great Commission serves as our abiding an alterable mission. There are no special exemptions. There are no escape clauses. You and me are called by Jesus Christ to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This is our mission. Amen. And fortunately, the Bible is filled, especially the New Testament, is filled with informative and practical snapshots that illustrate for us what it looks like to live out our faith, what it looks like to speak for God and to be an ambassador. One such passage is our focus tonight, and that is Acts 18. Acts 18. Here we find Paul having preached to the pagan philosophers in Athens in Acts 17. Some mock, some question, and some believe, which is the common experience when you share your faith, right? Paul travels the 37 miles to Corinth, Corinth and there begins the work of starting and planning a church. Corinth was strategically located at the crossroads of uh, commerce and travel. It was a relatively young and prosperous city, having been rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 44 B.C. after Rome had destroyed it about 100 years earlier. Corinth was devoted to the worship of many gods. It was infamous for its sexual immorality and promiscuity even among the Greco-Roman culture, which is saying something amazing. In many ways, Corinth was a rival to Athens as a center of influence within the Roman province of Achaia or what we would say modern-day Greece. So it's not by accident 
that the longest recorded tenures of Paul's ministry were at Corinth and Ephesus, another key influential city of Asia Minor. And so Paul arrives there in, in, in Corinth, and it seems that Paul first looked for accommodations and looked for work with fellow Jews because by divine orchestration, he meets and stays with this couple and their names are Aquila and Priscilla and it's just wonderful that they rhyme like that. They were tent makers like Paul, which probably meant in the first century and where they lived, more about working with leather than weaving uh, material, but nonetheless, the Bible is translated to say tent makers. Aquila and Priscilla, though, had been dealt a devastating blow. They were seeking to recover. They were effectively displaced religious refugees, for they had lived in Rome when the emperor Claudius had cruelly expelled all the Jews from Rome around 49 AD. And life had not been fair to this couple. Life had not been kind to them. They had suffered, and they had suffered personal and professional loss. But Aquila and Priscilla were genuine Christians. They did not abandon their faith in Jesus Christ. They did not become bitter and they did not mute their witness. But by God's provision, they just moved to Corinth. And in Corinth, they relaunched their business. It was successful enough or they left with enough funds that they bought a home, which was not necessarily what poor people did in those days. And in doing so, and in, and in striving through a period of suffering, they positioned themselves to become lifelong friends and ministry partners with the Apostle Paul. Can I just reiterate to all of us here this evening that God always has a plan, that his work in us and through us may not always unfold the way we envision, and his timing will rarely align to our concept of time, but when we trust him and when we obey his word and when we walk in the spirit, God will lead us and he will lead us through every twist and turn of life for better and for worse in the good and in the bad. God will lead us at the perfect pace to be perfectly positioned to fulfill God's unfolding plan in our life that you and I can play a pivotal role in the mission of reaching the loss in our world. God always has a plan. So hang on, baby. It's going to be all right. And Aquila and Priscilla are living proof of God's plan working. And so Paul moves in with Aquila and Priscilla. Now, there's a lot of people I'd rather not stay in my home, but it would be pretty awesome to have the Apostle Paul eat breakfast with you every morning for 18 months. Now, he is long-winded. 
And you may just have to go to bed, and he, he might not even know you went to bed. But it'd be pretty cool to have Paul have breakfast with Paul. He probably liked Cheerios, maybe. And so he moves in them. And it seems initially that Paul works during the week and he ministers on the Sabbath uh, in the synagogue to the Jews and the God-fearers who would gather there. And uh, this seems to go on for some time, but eventually, though, the Bible tells us that Silas and Timothy arrive at, at um, Corinth from Macedonia, so the ministry team is growing. And this appears to have enabled Paul to devote himself fully or full time to evangelizing the Jews. And most likely it would seem that they were carrying with them a mission aid offering from the church, uh, the Philippian Christians. And so Paul didn't have to work in the week any, anymore. And so he poured himself into reaching these Jews. The Bible says in 18 and 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He is both Lord and God. And when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. That was a bad day. It was like all the effort and all the preaching and even going full time had just ran headlong into the immovable object of Jewish tradition and they were not only being antagonistic towards Paul, they were blatantly blaspheming who Jesus Christ was. But it was always not lost because God always has a plan and neither Satan nor his minions nor anyone nor anything can ever thwart God's mission on this earth. And God has a sense of humor. Not only does the young work continue to flourish and grow in spite of opposition, but it does so literally next door to the synagogue. Acts 18 and 7. And when he departed from there, he entered into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, it got even worse. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, converted, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And in the original language, the connotation is ongoing. This revival just spread throughout Corinth and it took place in Justice's house right beside the synagogue. The Bible is clear. There will be those who mock the message. There will be those who believe and obey the, the message in obedient faith. And, and here, is, here is the application to me and maybe to you is to you know, kind of lift up your head and square your shoulders when people reject the gospel, right? You're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need an ego, but if you have an ego, stick it in your back pocket and get back up and just be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because beside everyone who says no, literally next door, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member to the one who rejects the truth is somebody who's hungry for God and God may plant a work and a flag for his kingdom right next door to the person who rejected your witness. So hang on and just keep being faithful. And yes, some will mock. And yes, some will refuse. And some will say no. But right next door to them, there is a hungry heart. And there is someone who wants their life to be transformed. And God wants to do that for them. So be encouraged. You're not alone. And if you are discouraged and intimidated at times, you're still not alone because Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle Paul is fearful after all of this. He tells the Corinthians, with fear and trembling, I came to you. And so the Lord says, man, you know, Paul's pretty awesome, but, but he's kind of not, he's, He's being intimidated and he, he, he's, this is not what I want. So God shows up and Paul has a vision. Acts 18 and 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. That's not encouragement. That's a mandate. For I am with you. That's encouragement. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And so encouraged and empowered by the mandate and the promise of the vision from God, Paul did exactly that. And we see and know that an incredible church was built and established in Corinth. And Paul stays there 18 plus months ministering alongside of Aquila and Priscilla. But the time came and Paul leaves. Acts 18 follows him. He travels to Ephesus. And Ephesus, as I mentioned earlier, was probably the most influential city of Asia Minor. So it's strategic what Paul is seeking to do. There is a work firmly established in Corinth. He travels to Ephesus on the easter side, easterly side of the Aegean. That's not the Holy Ghost. It's trying to say a Greek word in English. On the other side of the sea, let's leave it at that. Not quite the Black Sea. That's a lot easier to say. Very pertinent in today's news. Paul plants a church, Ephesus. And things are different this time, though, because at this point, Aquila and Priscilla are not just friends, but they're now an integral part of his ministry team. So much so that they move to Ephesus with Paul. And utilizing the resources God has blessed them with in their business, they purchase in Ephesus a home large enough that they're the household that hosts the church in Ephesus, as Paul would write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 and 19. And so began the work of planting a church in Ephesus that we just kind of seen in Corinth in the first part of 18. Now we switch to Ephesus in the back half of chapter 18. But, but it's not long before Paul says, adios, 
I've got to return back to Jerusalem. There's a feast that I want to attend. He then goes to Antioch. He gives a report, kind of concludes his second missionary journey. He launches into his third missionary journey, which is primarily based in Ephesus. But this time, Aquila and Priscilla, they don't follow him. Paul leaves them behind that they would continue this work of establishing a new church. And it's pretty cool to me that at Corinth, they housed the pastor. But because of their faithfulness in Ephesus, they housed the church and they play a pastoral role in caring and ministering to that church. And it's while Paul is gone that we arrive at our text in Acts chapter 18 and 24. Now we're introduced to a man named Apollos, born at Alexandria, eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, the way. In Acts, that's how they say the gospel, the way. They were at first called Christians, probably derisively at Antioch, but primarily when you see Paul and Luke writing, they describe the gospel or the early Christian church as being in the way. So he's been instructed in the gospel of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now, many of John the Baptist's disciples, like Andrew and John, had pretty immediately recognized who Jesus was, and they had wholeheartedly followed after Jesus. But there were many others of John's disciples who adopted this mixture of beliefs, and they fell short of a full understanding of who Jesus was and how we come into a saving relationship with him. We see this in the very next chapter when Paul returns to the Ephesus. He meets disciples of John, and they believed in, in Christ and in Jesus, but they had not yet been baptized in the name of Jesus nor received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we see it here in Acts 18 in the life of Apollos. Apollos was an unapologetic, professed believer in Jesus Christ. He had a thorough and working knowledge of the Old Testament. He had been taught the gospel way. He was even teaching others accurately about Jesus Christ to the extent of his knowledge. He was well-intentioned. He was sincere. He was fervent in the spirit, which probably indicates that he was spirit-filled. But his understanding of who Jesus was and his understanding of how we come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ was still in complete because the Bible is clear. He was not aware of Peter's command on the day of Pentecost. He was not aware of baptism in Jesus' name. He was not aware uh, of the command in that baptism. It is possible even that he wasn't aware of the power of the Holy Spirit, though it seems from the text that he was spirit-filled. So it's hard to kind of understand where he had picked up some truth, but not all of the truth. He was only aware 
the Bible says, of the baptism of John. But when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Somehow and some way, Aquila and Priscilla befriended Apollos. We don't know the details of how they met him. They, they heard him, but we don't even know. Maybe they were at the synagogue on that day. We don't know how they built a relationship with Apollos. But what we do know is they did not ignore him. They did not reject him. They did not mock his lack of a full understanding. They did not condemn him. They did not even rebuke him. Instead, they exhibited Christian love and Christian hospitality, and they invited him into their home. That was their groundbreaking evangelistic breakthrough method. They invited him into their home. And in their home, they built a relationship. And in their home, on a foundation of a friendship, they explained to Apollos the way of God more accurately, starting where he was, not condemning where he had come from, honoring his faith and belief in Jesus Christ, though it was incomplete, starting there. They explained through the scripture and through their own testimony the way of God more accurately. And it is because of the relentless commitment to the mission of Aquila and Priscilla that Apollos not only embraces apostolic truth wholeheartedly, but he becomes a powerful and influential apostolic preacher that advances the kingdom of God around the world. Acts 18 and 27, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Paul would even testify later in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 and 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Again, they were breaking at this point. This church had problems. Paul addressed it. Thankfully, he helps us in our problems. They had factions. One, they had the Apollos Club and the Paul Club and the This Preacher Club. So Paul's addressing that. He says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Apollos became a mighty apostolic preacher in the first century, all because of Aquila and Priscilla who just were relentlessly committed to the mission. Their house was open to the preacher. Their house was open to the neighbor. Their house was open to those who knew some, but not all. And they were always looking to show someone the way of God more accurately. Likewise, in the 21st century, you and I, 
Our mission is to whosoever wills. We are ambassadors to everyone in our city and the communities where we live, whether they are a pagan, whether they worship an idol, whether they are agnostic, or whether they want to hug a tree and worship Mother Earth, whether they pursue vain philosophies or they are professing believer in Jesus Christ. We are commissioned to be an ambassador to them. And the Bible gives us examples of reaching one and reaching a multitude, of reaching pagan philosophers and reaching professing Christ followers like Apollos. We're called to reach them all. But I felt in the spirit to draw our attention tonight to the missional work of Aquila and Priscilla as they ministered in Corinth and then ministered in Ephesus and reached out to Apollos. Our city, our fair city, our community, our neighborhoods, our workplaces in this region are filled with thousands and thousands of sincere followers of Jesus Christ. They are not pagans. They do not serve Hindu gods. They do not seek inner nirvana with Buddha. They are not pursuing Allah. They are professed believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have professed that openly and publicly in many of their cases. They believe, many of them, the Bible. At least the New Testament is the word of God to his people in, the, in our day. And our city is filled. They sing in choirs. They teach Sunday school classes. They lead small groups. They serve in parking lots, in churches all across our city. They may even listen to Christian music. God help them on the radio stations and hang Bible verses up in their home and wear Christian T-shirts and have a cross around their neck. They are sincere. They are well-intentioned and they are faithful to what they know of the way. Many of them in our city have been received the gift of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. But for all they do and for all that they have experienced, they remain having an incomplete understanding of biblical truth. They have an inadequate understanding of the whole witness of the Bible, of who God is and how we come into a right relationship with him. They have not fully obeyed Peter's command in Acts 2.38. They are waiting. They are waiting on someone to invest in a relationship. They are waiting on someone to intercede for them in prayer. And they are waiting for someone to invite them in their home, to invite them into a personal Bible study, to invite them into a small group, and to invite them to a church service. They are waiting on me. They are waiting on me to see them. They are waiting on me to befriend them. They are waiting on me to teach them a Bible study. They are waiting on me to explain to them the way of God more accurately. So I end where I begin. Our message and our mission never changes. 
And regardless of our individual circumstances, our season of life, our job, our hobbies, our places of ministry, there are no special escape clauses that exempt me or exempt you from being an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ in our city. There are no personal exemptions from the biblical mandate that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to be a witness that is both seen and heard within our circle of influence, our neighborhoods, our schools, our little leagues, our workplaces, our communities, our entire metro area are filled with spiritually sincere believers in Jesus Christ who are desperately waiting on someone to give them something to eat. They are waiting on me and they are waiting on you to follow the example of Aquila and Priscilla and explain to them the way of God more accurately. If you're able, stand. Please stand. Our mission and message never change. And I came back to repeat what I said earlier because I felt that directed of the Lord. There are no personal exemptions to the message and mission of the gospel. In sickness and in health, busy on my job, busy with my kids, busy with my hobbies, busy with life, occupied by social media, worried about geopolitical movements on the world stage, there are no personal exemptions from being an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to all. And whomever God leads us to, we will just start there. But in this example, our city is filled with apostles who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they desperately need someone to show them the way of God more accurately.